Welcome to season two of the Do More Good podcast. They gave us a second series. Oh, don't tell anybody. You need to kind of just go fast and seize those opportunities. We have no access to any kind of finance whatsoever, but I am drowning in brown <laughs> If your people aren't lined up behind why the change they're trying to make is important, nothing happens. What's the difference between work and home life? It doesn't mean you have to be on 24-7, but you have to be receptive to inspiration. Here we are, James, episode number 22 of the Do More Good podcast. How are you doing? Little K Dizzle, I am doing all right. Yeah, I'm having a good week. You promised me you wouldn't call me that. (laughs) Outside outside the bedroom. Outside the bedroom. No, I'm good. I'm having a good week. uh, We discussed New Year's resolutions last time and I've I've stuck firmly to mine. As have I. Yeah. So I went to the the pub last night, got a call from one of the guys, can we go to the pub? And I said, yeah, yeah, sure. Went to the pub, had a non-alcoholic pale ale. Ouch. Hated myself for a couple Ouch. of hours, but then gave everyone a lift home. So, oh. you know, pluses and minuses. How about you? Yeah, busy week, getting back after Christmas, getting into the run of things. Went swimming at lunchtime today, had a yeah. bit of a swimming lesson today, which was really useful. So one of the ladies at work is a swimming coach, and she chucked us in the pool. So I turned up with, you know, my inflatable <laughs> unicorn. band. <laughs> thought yeah, I was yeah. on holiday in Tenerife, jumped in there, and, and then she... Uh, Persuaded to tell me how to swim properly, but nice. no, it was good actually. It was really good to get some proper yeah. proper lessons. Talking of lessons, we are we're going to get one tonight, aren't we? We are going to get have, a lesson. Uh, not just one, but two guests for we you have. this week. So, bringing a bit of Gallic flair to the podcast, we have Bertie, who has twenty years' experience of digital, slightly more experience of being French. Um, <laughs> he started out setting up a web design agency in Dijon. He moved to the UK in '99. And uh, has worked with the BHF and BCC before going freelance and clocking up jobs with over 100 charities. He also, been doing my research... He's nodding, so he's... He also turned down dinner with Jarvis Cocker and owns a photo of Daft Punk without their disguises. That's true, yes. Welcome, Bertie. Thank you, well, thank you for having me. No worries. And we're also, we haven't just got one guest, we've got another guest. So, Fliss joins us. She's the account director at MC&C. Uh, MC&C worked with the British Heart Foundation. She was telling us about some work she's been doing with Oxfam, with UNICEF, with WaterAid, Guide Dogs, among others. Working mostly on data insight and, and media performance. That's, that's quite, that sounds quite technical, isn't it? Where did you get this bio from? Um, she does everything from audience, portfolio, conversion, and improving remittance. And best of all, she, we did notice on her LinkedIn page that she's a fellow go-backer. And for those uh, audience members that don't know what a go-backer is, it, it, maybe you can tell them, Fliss. Well, I did the classic boomerang. I thought the glass might be, the grass might be greener on the other side. And I went to creative and tried it for a year. And luckily, this is a lesson in not burning on bridges. Called up my CEO and was like, I think I've made the wrong choice. Could I come back? Can He's I like, go back? Great, welcome. And now I've been back for uh, seven years. Oh, <laughs> that's good. Good for you. I've done that as well. And James has said he's done it. So we wanted to talk a little bit today about a few different areas, but I guess mostly, obviously, both of you are very experienced in terms of, of, of digital. So we'll probably deep dive into that a little bit uh, as we go on. But Bertie, would you mind talking a little bit about your career and what got you? To this, to this expert level of getting that, that what was it, something with Jarvis Cocker and a picture of uh, Daft Punk? No, okay, and your digital well, experience. Wow, okay. I started my career as a, suppose as a teenager. I started a radio show and I was really interested in indie music. So I played lots of bands and I've realised that to be able to interview and meet them, I needed to 
well, take photos. And so I created the fanzine and I interviewed people like Bjork, uh, Radiohead, when they were support bands, Blur. And um, yeah, so for me, photography was very much like the internet because it was a mix of creativity, a bit of technical. But it was really fun to meet all those bands, but I didn't really make any money with that because at the time in France, no one was really interested. So in the mid-90s, I decided to do what to create my own company and I didn't really know what to do. And I thought, this thing called the internet, people are talking about it. No one in Dijon is making websites. That's what I'm going to do. So obviously, I didn't have a computer. I'd never been on the internet, but I did a business plan, got a bit of money to buy a computer, started to sell websites. But again, in Dijon, no one was interested. No one wanted a website. People were telling me, in two years, no one will talk about the internet. So after a few years, I gave up and I realized there are lots of jobs in London. And because of my passion for indie music, I've always wanted to, um, to work in the UK. So I moved here. I worked briefly for, for a startup, didn't really um, enjoy that. But then I went to see a recruitment agency and I said, look, I've done the startup. I've set up my own thing. Now I want to work for large organization i want to have budgets i want to train people and so we've got a charity called british heart foundation they have decided well they're recruiting their first web person so it's a new role it's a bit like a startup because you need to set up a team but they've got you know they're, they're quite big and they've got budget so that's how i started in the sector exactly that january 2001 so exactly um 18 18 years ago so that's how I started in the sector, but very similar to my experience of trying to sell websites to French people who didn't want websites. Initially at the BHF, teams didn't want to give content to the website because there was a direct competition with their KPIs. Like, well, if people go to the website, they're not going to call the helpline. So, you know, that, that's an issue. You just, well, just change your KPI and add <laughs> web pages in your KPIs. But same thing, try, trying to convince fundraisers that people would donate online. It sounds crazy now, but you know, until 2005, it was very, very hard to convince fundraising teams that online fundraising was a thing. Yeah. Yeah, so you've gone through a few challenges there then. And you've gone from interviewing Tom York to, to in chatting to us, so your career has gone stellar there. Yeah, so, ab- so I've gone through the roof. Yeah, 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 <laughs> did, yeah. did Jarvis Cocker ask you if you'd ever met us? Did he ever say that you've ever been on the No, I mean, the story with Jarvis Cocker is quite a funny one. So at the time, so I was really into indie music, but more, more the older generation. The bands I haven't really met, like Jesus and Mary Chain. And, but every evening, I had to go and photograph Supergrass and Menswear and Pulp and... So, you know, after a while, it, it sounds really pretentious, but at the time, it was really, it's quite boring. And also, I didn't have a lot of money, so I had to pretend I was taking lots of photos. But because I didn't have, we, we didn't have digital cameras at the time, so I'd maybe, I could maybe afford to take 10 photos. <laughs> so, you know, it's quite long. Anyway, the record company calls me and said, well, I don't speak, you know, I don't speak English. You do, you do speak English. Could you could you entertain the band? And I promised a friend who was a big fan of Pulp that I would get her through the kitchen because she didn't have money to buy a ticket. But the only way I could do that was, in, was 
just before the show. So I couldn't arrive too early at the venue. So I said, no, I can't really have dinner with the band. What a great friend. That yeah. is, that is I, top I, 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 don't, I, I haven't told her, but that's... Yeah. Yeah. She knows now. She knows she now. Knows now. Yeah. Yeah. And so going to your charity career, so you said the, the getting into the BHF in the first instance was a bit of a an accident almost you, you were you were given that opportunity by the recruiter and, and, and you decided to go it was, yeah. was, was there was there anything within you that kind of wanted to move into the the social good space or, or a charity element or was it was it just purely by luck yeah i'd love to say yes but I, no I, I had done well in france i'd done a couple of websites for charities i did uh, i remember doing a website for an organization helping sex workers to um well to get back into um employment but that that was all you know for me it was just just a job and the agency you're probably going to stay there for two years and when I started I, st- I tried to find other people working in the sector there were only five charities who had a full-time digital like online or new media manager so we started to network and I loved it I've discovered there was a real opportunity to use digital for good but so that started as an accident but I stayed there for five years and then then I moved to breast cancer care similar set up the team and stayed there for six years and Fliss the big question is have you ever snuck into a gig through the kitchen um, unfortunately not I don't know how I'm going to um... well let's talk to, Ber- <laughs> let's talk to Bertie <laughs> afterwards about how he can get us in and um, how did you end up in, in your role so I started probably not from a noble place so I actually went into sort of volunteering for charity whilst I was at uni so part of raising and giving basically so I could get the free booze <laughs> um, organise the events so we would organise the pub crawls we organised um, a massive ball called Safe Sex Ball um, at Exeter which was raising money for HIV charities I mean it was great everyone was there in their underwear tip top so I went from that I graduated from uni with a philosophy and politics degree not knowing what the hell I wanted to do I was then just searching job sites found MCNC they had a lot of charity clients I was like I've, I've done charity work, I, I, can, I can do this, I can blag my way into this, and then ended up at media agencies. MC&C, kind of when I joined, it was a, you know, a very different place to what it is now, so I started, there's only 20 of us. Our founder was actually one of the first people to do a DRTV advert, so you know, introducing that, which was a complete game changer. So we were really offline focused, so kind of as the digital space grew, we were you know kind of growing with it because our background had always been in tv press and inserts mm. my career started on rspca water aid doing their tv the press and inserts door drops all the offline and they were like digital definitely seems to be a thing we need to do something about that we went into that area and grew from there but it was really interesting what you're saying in terms of you know not, it wasn't just the charity sector, it was even the corporate sector, kind of getting them up to speed and getting their websites in a place and that whole era, there just weren't the people there to, to do it because no. no one had the experience. Yeah, it was quite interesting going from that point of view, but then since now, I think our digital team is probably bigger than our TV team and our offline team. I was going to ask you, how, how, how much of your business, and um, you know, obviously you don't need to give details, but in just percentage-wise is now digital or when you're working with a typical charity client uh, the, the work that has to go into digital is far more labor intensive than in in terms of say tv whilst most money probably still 
goes through TV. What you do find, though, is sort of the the work and the setup time is far labour intensive in digital. So the s- split between the money and the hours of work isn't balanced. Mm. And I mean, it's it's a good contract. And I guess one of the reasons we wanted to get you both here because you both sit, on, you know, obviously you sit on an agency side, and, and and Bertie's kind of working with a number of charities and advising them on their digital strategy. When you guys go into into a charity. Why do they typically come to you rather than do it internally themselves, do you think? I think there's sort of a benefit of having the wealth of experience that we do from the corporate side is where they they have a lot of money to invest in these things. We can, you know, take those learnings, transfer them over to the corporate side. Also, just having a wealth of charity clients, you know, we can take those learnings and sort of pass them along. So I think there's just a benefit with the insight that we can bring to the table. And you're doing, presumably both of you are doing stuff right on the cutting edge. That must be quite exciting to get up on a, or Sunday nights looking forward to work, thinking we're going to do stuff that is going to change the world here. These charities are very forward looking. They are, everything's changed, right? Now, not so much. No, no. I mean, well, it's it's interesting because I I think what you just said about why a charity would ask an agency, maybe I work with slightly different different charities. So because I work freelance, for me, I'm more... I'm seeing more because of pay-as-you-go head of digital, if you want. So, so I've got two types. Just yeah. top you up. Yeah. <laughs> Another five pounds. So, um, five pounds. Thank you. so for... I don't, like the, I, I don't like the name consultant, So, yeah, but I think pay-as-you-go may not be as nice. <laughs> um, but I would say some charities will ask me to help them because they don't have the skills. They don't have a digital team. And so sometimes I will help them with job interviews or writing a brief for a new website for larger charities sometimes they just need someone with a French accent to tell them they're dysfunctional (laughs) because they know that but it's the typical external consultant role where you know something you know that the um, I don't know fundraising and comms have to work together but you don't really know how to do it, and yeah. then you need someone and I, external I, I, I to facilitate that. I have to agree that. with that, because I think very much from a media agency point of view, it's very much changed. Before, we were just the, the buying function. So as in, I want X amount of airtime on TV, go buy it for me. And, and you know, still a fair amount of planning would go through the audience work. Whereas now, it's kind of, we can buy, but it's all about the insight, the consultancy aspect, which is... The, the bigger element so media agencies are definitely going through a transition period at the moment I'd say and do, you loop, do you loop that all into the same cost or how does that work commercially for a typical client well, I just, well it, it, it varies each, it? For, no. for each so that, I mean there's very, various different systems it could be we want a retainer for you to help us on X mm. or you know some clients still prefer doing it straight on a commission basis so mm. Okay. Yeah, there's lots of different ways you can cost it up. Okay, so one of the things that we wanted to get into today was just talking a little bit more about social media and probably a social media network that hopefully people would have heard of. Bertie, you've been quite upfront about a topic that I think many of us in the sector have perhaps been shying away from in terms of should we be in, in investing our money into social media platforms that potentially have certain issues or questions around the ethics and the morals of their business. When I read some of your pieces that you've been quite vocal about, and I think broadly away from the sector as well, we're seeing these kind of questions, right? This is not just a, a charity element. It's something that's affecting society. Bertie, can you just elaborate a little bit more on, on some of your thoughts around that? 
Yes, yeah, so, because I've, be, I've been around for a long time. When, when social media started, it was a really nice environment. We could see the opportunities. We saw the growth. It was a good way to engage with the audience. And I think things started to change after a few years. And then if we can name Facebook, I think it's, it's changed when they moved from a timeline to a newsfeed. And suddenly they decided what you should see. They decided who your friends were. And then recently, I mean, a couple of years ago, they then decided that pages like charity pages would not appear on the newsfeed. Charities would have to pay. So I think what, what we've seen for something like Facebook is a move away from a social network platform to a PR platform where you have to uh, obviously invest to create content. So you invest staff costs to create your content. Then you've got to pay to publish your content, which is all fine because you can target advertising, you can make a lot of money. So I would say, should charities invest? Yes. But then what we've started to see this year is a number of facts that makes me question, is it a good thing for charities to use social media platform? And at the moment, it's mostly... Facebook, because yes, they make a lot of money. But if I, if I can pause for one second, and when I was at the British Heart Foundation, we were not allowed to take money from tobacco companies. Mm. Was, there was a very, very strong ethical policy. And actually, it was really hard for me when I tried to sell the contract to get a dedicated server. The legal team didn't want to sign the contract because the hosting company could not confirm they would not host a website but or sell a web a server to a tobacco company. Charities have really good have very good ethical policies. Now when you start listing all the things we know about Facebook, the fact that it's built on purpose to be addictive and can cause mental health issues, that that's I think that that's a big issue. Yep. The fact that they are um, obviously fake news, we know about that. There there are articles, I mean I I'll be able to send you like the, um, the articles from The Guardian and, and the BBC, the research they've done around hate speech and the fact that basically if, you, if you're on your Facebook page, you post something like, you know, French people are ignorant, we should get rid of them. Well, that's hate speech, so you're not allowed to say that. But if you say French immigrants are useless, we should get rid of them. Because you use the word immigrants, that's a political statement, so you're allowed to post that on Facebook. There have been cases of sexual abuse, child bride auction, the fact they don't pay, well, they pay less than 1% of tax. So basically, when you start adding everything that Facebook have done, the 180 million accounts being hacked, you're starting to wonder if Facebook was presented today as a corporate partner or as a platform, would charities sign up? Yeah, and, and I read your, your blog piece, and I, it was really good where you, you set up a situation where you said, if I was going into the senior management team now and presenting to them Facebook, I thought that was a really way of framing it, so we'll, we'll make sure we, uh, we link to it in the show notes. But 
taking that all into consideration, Facebook still ultimately today works for a lot of charities. I know my old charity and I'm sure James's charity, a all lot of charities, clients. all yeah. of your clients yeah. are investing significantly. It's not the place it once was, you know, the, the expectations of maybe a charity CEO where you are acquiring a fundraiser for 15, 20 pounds seems to be long gone. I mean, my experience was that it was climbing month on month, our acquisition rates. Are you still seeing charities Fliss invest in Facebook like they have been for the last couple of years? Do you think we're at the peak or do you think that we are now seeing it kind of plateau and... And, and start to decline, perhaps. Facebook's still probably, if you looked at all media types, the, the biggest after TV. And, it, you know, so it still has a huge role to play. If you took it out at the moment, you know, charities see a massive loss. However, I, I, I think we're still seeing growth. We haven't seen a, sed, a steady decline in terms of the, the, the activity we're, we're running. And, you know, the results I've seen is, are still improving. I think where you know it might have got more expensive or it's more overcrowded charities are overcoming that by coming up with more innovative products so don't get me wrong it's harder but charities are working in different ways to overcome that charities are also facing a decision at the moment with the introduction of facebook donate to become further wedded to facebook that a vast amount of money now is coming through facebook and there are various issues around reporting on that and working out who that money is coming from but Big numbers is, is now coming through. So charities are becoming further wedded to Facebook as, a, as an income stream in itself, not just advertising their, their products through that. I, I think it's tricky. I mean, I, I'm currently working with medium-sized charity and they make more than 50k a month with Facebook Donate. That's the situation. Slow. It's Do you think socially money. people are turning again? Is that what will lead it? If, Charities won't leave Facebook until the audience leaves Facebook. Is that what will prompt it? Or until, uh, until there's a group of charities who decide that actually we need, we, we need a proper regulation or something needs to happen. I think no, no charity today will take the risk to say... Yeah. We're, we're going to be the first. Well, we're not using and, uh, Facebook. I think you're not seeing the big corporate brands doing it who, you know, are spending vast amounts more than any charity. Kind of, it's going to have very little impact what Facebook do to change the way they act. So it's like, why does the pressure always have to be on the, t- the charities mm. over the mm. other corporates to make yeah. the first move? Personally, my view on it is, is and, it, and it probably leads into to the next point, <clears throat> is, you know, you just have to look at Facebook's share price in the, in the last few days. I think they've lost can't remember the percentages i read something this morning 10 15 of their share price maybe or their market value so you know there is a bit of a movement there i think people are responding to what's happened recently i think the questions that you you you're asking bertie are, are relevant questions that actually we should all be asking as as, as people on this planet of should, should we allow an organization that potentially has some unethical means of doing business to access our data and so it, it, it goes to, to my next point bertie and the statement you made unfortunately it seems to be like we're picking on you here a bit uh it was the, the, comment from 2013 that we've, we've dragged up yeah. yeah this was from jarvis cocker uh, posted uh, we had a question in you're 20 quid for that ticket yeah. there's a kitchen porter somewhere who saw no um is is you mentioned in a post and i and i knew you were trying to kind of you know start a debate rather than being up front that that potentially social media uh, as a platform might be non-existent in two or three years yeah so that was the headline <laughs> and, uh, and then the line underneath the line underneath was, well, was basically, I think social media is going to become like direct mail. So you'll have to throw more and more money at it. 
to make a return. And I, I, I think I said two to three years, and I, I, I think I was wrong. I think it's probably 18 months. To, it's going to be oh, less. Oh, he's doubling oh, down on this one. There we go. But, up in but the already, already we can see, and, and I didn't know, but you, you've, you've mentioned that yourself, that the, uh, the cost per acquisition has increased. So Facebook um, and, or Twitter, they are PR platforms. They're not social. They're not social. But, but, but do you not think, say, so the likes of Facebook, obviously they saw Instagram coming and they're like, yes, I'll have that, thank you very much. And whatever the next thing is, it'll be likely that it might be them who buys it up. So maybe, it, you know, Facebook might die. Instagram will live on, and then something else yeah. will replace Facebook. So, well, in, well, it's predicted that Instagram will will bring more money to Facebook than than Facebook network. Yeah, it feels to me like Instagram is at the point Twitter was at a couple of years ago, whereas Twitter now just seems to be companies and celebrities posting. I don't I don't have conversations with my friends anymore through that. Whereas when it very first came out. It, it was a so, like you say. It was a, it was a social network, whereas now I go there for for news and updates on brands and I don't know Justin yeah, Bieber. Yeah, but, but the, I think also it's kind of looking at how we use it rather, you know, I, I, you know, as Londoners and everything else, we behave very differently. However, if you still look at the rest of the UK and how they use Facebook, it's still really embedded in you know, how people communicate, how they organise their events. And that's something, you know, that still has quite a strong foothold, which I don't think is going to die out in 18 months. I think you're right, Fliss. I, don't, I think people are always going to want to connect through digital means, it, whether it's Facebook, whether it's Instagram or Snapchat or whatever it might WhatsApp, be. WhatsApp, which also well, belongs to Facebook, which we don't use as much here, but I do some work in, in, um, well, in Africa or in... in um, in Morocco, everyone's using WhatsApp. Yeah. Currently, it's free. It hasn't been monetized. The day they're going to monetize it will be a very sad day. But Facebook is the business, and at some point, they will monetize WhatsApp. Mm. Well, I guess they're still getting the benefits. Of, so, obviously, when they did buy it, there was the, a sweet spot of opportunity where you could say, no, I, Facebook, I don't want you to use the data from WhatsApp and transfer it over, and you could say no. So, they're still benefiting from that data. So, how long are they still keep it free for because they're still getting information from it so for this when you're talking to your clients and, and obviously facebook i'm sure they're, they're doing lots of activities i know i was in previous roles and many businesses are what other or up-and-coming channels are you talking to your clients about at the moment in terms of maybe places that they if they've got a real innovative product or something that they've is quite niche or new or different they're putting some money into Facebook, where would you also tell them to maybe speculate some of their other budgets? Well, I, I, I guess it's hard because fa- Facebook has the, the... You can spend a minimal amount and get really solid results. And, you know, it's low entry. You can make the ads in-house. So it's very hard to find anything which is so comparable. There, There's obviously different areas that we can go into, such as radio is really interesting at the moment. So you've got the likes of, you know, Spotify podcast really taking off. And you've got DAX, which is, you know, that's been quite, that's finally revolutionized sort of digital radio and how you buy it. So before you'd have to go to Heart and then go to Capital and go to each individual station, whereas now you can go purchase that inventory for one place and you know they've been pretty innovative in terms of adding tracking to everything so if you want quick results there's an option there again you've still got the rest of the digital landscape it's just nothing's quite as big and sizable as social nothing there has got the audience Uh, maybe maybe tv has the audience of facebook that's pretty much i think i i I can't remember the latest stats but kind of you know 
Facebook got to the same audience size as Channel 4. It still wasn't as big as ITV. So there's, there's nothing comparable. TV is always going to be your biggest reach. And then after that, it's always going to be social. So I've heard quite a lot about these things called podcasts. Apparently, they're going to be pretty, <laughs> pretty big, right? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, they're... they're they're making a comeback. They're making so a they're, comeback. They're, 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 they're making well, thanks radio to you. Again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, but audio, voice. We were talking before we kind of start hit record about um, Google, Google Home, uh, Amazon Alexa, and the fact that now BHF and maybe one or two other charities have explored that in terms of giving. How do we see that progressing over the next few years, Bertie? And, and, and just before you jump out, does that just Alexa terrify you? Because that seems like the kind of intrusive thing you that can is, see is, that in my eyes. Yeah. No, I, I, I make a difference between my year, personal, be my personal life, the fact that I deleted my Facebook account a year ago, and so that that's very different from the way I work with, with clients. So what's interesting course, about um, about Alexa is um, obviously the growth of, uh, and Echo. Is it Google? Google Home? Is it or Google? There are quite a few of them. So what's what's interesting about these products, there's a fundraising element. I think it's Breast Cancer Care who are also using the likes of Alexa for information. And I work with French charity helping disabled people. And that's that's a fantastic tool as well. So I think parking my personal life that I can't imagine having um, (laughs) a tool listening to... I, I don't think they would understand my French accent. <laughs> I'm, I'm safe, but That's why you don't but, but really. as a as a product, I think it's it's got some some benefits. That and the other one I'm seeing um, growing is NFC technology. You know, when you you can tap with your with your mobile and open an, an app or a. Um, a web page. Mm. Is yeah, a, I think uh, Movember had that recently. Yeah, well. so they so piloted like, it. So a few charities yeah. trying that out, which I think is really interesting because it's not. You have, well, I guess we will eventually want to get to the point where you, anyone could tap their card against something that you have and instantly donate. But this yep. is kind of like the midway point without all the tech, so at least opens up a page. So definitely for events and you know any mass packs activities, that's so, really interesting. Yeah, so you touched on Felice about your doing work in, in DAX and, and, and DAB radio and stuff. Can you talk a little bit more about how, how that works for charities? And, and what, what, if, there's a, if there's someone listening that maybe hasn't explored that as a channel themselves, how, how would you describe that to a, to a newbie um, maybe? I guess in terms of, you know, what you can do there, which is quite interesting. So a bunch of people now are obviously listening to radio kind of on on their iPhones. And you can serve, you know, standard radio ads, 30 seconds, 60 seconds. And then kind of what it still does is drop a cookie so you can still track them through to to an event. And then with the likes of podcasts, which we're talking about now, there's something still having a presenter do do a read about your product and your brand still holds so much more value than a 30 second ad so if you've got the likes of say russell brand or adam buxton you know kenneth foreman <laughs> we interrupt this podcast to present. <laughs> sorry go on the endorsement and trust that you get there which potentially in the digital landscape you can't get as much because mm, mm. you don't have the endorsement from those people so that's one way that you can there is, I think, Bertie, we were talking about it earlier. There is a, seems to be a bit of a tendency that, you know, digital being still the shiny thing, even though we've just talked about you started 18 years ago, you know, when it was, when digital was around then, where some organizations or individuals will look at digital 
exclusively and maybe forget some of those more well-trodden paths. Is that, is that, have you seen, experienced that yourself? Or? Well, obviously I experienced that quite a lot because when, when a charity comes to me to do a digital fundraising strategy, I push back and say, well, you've already got a fundraising strategy. What you need is a digital program embedded in your, in your fundraising strategy. And then I'll just give them the, the figures. I mean, if you look at e-commerce, the latest stats I've seen is globally, the conversion rate for an e-commerce website is, I think it's 3.8% and Amazon are around 13%. Now, amongst the charities I work with, the best performing charity has a 5% conversion rate. So 5% of their visitors are making a donation. That's very high. The, the average of the charities I work with um, when I start working with them is around one one percent, and then and then sometimes we, we manage to improve that. But if you look if you look at this conversion rate one th- one three percent, it's not in it. There isn't like a, a magic wand to make digital fundraising work. And some charities we so we need we need a new donation system. We need do- new donation forms, and that's yeah, that's fine. But that's not going to bring more traffic. That's not going to increase the conversion massively. So it's still digital fundraising is still small in the charity um, portfolio. I, I, th- I think one of the big things that, and reasons why companies and charities love digital is because it's so trackable in terms of a linear response. And so that kind of goes, well, we know what digital's doing. So, you know, it's very easy to justify, we want more money for this. However, in offline media, obviously there are ways of tracking TV. But I can't say that this person did this because I couldn't put a cookie down on them when they were watching TV. So I think there's a big sway of like, we can measure this, we can justify it. And it's kind of thrown it off because actually offline channels have a lot of value. As I go back to the, and we were talking about podcasts and the trust there, you know, TV, newspapers, people still hold those brands. And, you know, seeing a brand on TV, you know, it's a big brand. It's something real and it's substantial which is something that you can't get from a display advert or a social post. Yeah, and I guess they all they all work together in some fashion that the TV advert reminds you and then when you're on whatever social network you choose, then you click through from that, so then you know you go through. But that works really nicely with another point that we were keen to make about being trackable and charities being asked to be more transparent about what they're spending and where and the impact of the money that people are giving. Digital, obviously, is going to lead on showing that better and things like blockchain will be able to, to do that for us in the future well it start, I mean, it's, it's very near future because there are already a few startups who have set up some blockchain trackable donations and I, I, so I'm working on two blockchain pilots at the moment one, one is around tracking donations and most charities don't want that because when you make a donation you don't really want to know that your donation paid for Someone to clean the office, yeah, yeah. or yeah. But uh, the, the charity I'm doing this pilot for is a very, very small charity with a volunteer CEO. So all, all the money is actually going to the cause. There's no um, admin cost, so it's very easy to track that. Actually, your donation will go to planting an argan tree in uh, in Morocco. But I, I, f- I think the um, the trackable for blockchain will take a while because of, because of yeah. that. I mean, that is going to cause a world of problems yeah. for charities yeah. if people yeah. are restricting it just yeah. to whatever the, the, yeah, the cause yeah, yeah, that is, yeah. you know, of the, the cause of the yeah. month. But, but we don't know that supporters 
want that. They, they, want to, they want to invest, so they don't want to make a donation. They want to make a social investment. So they want to know that their money will do something. They want a report. But I'm not sure. They want to know specifically that amongst their £10, 50p were used for that, £5 were used for that. I think they want to be reassured. You know, they want to get a, a report about, with your donation, they, they, we've made this. They just this. want to know that money is being used responsibly. Yeah. yeah. So does it just allow us to do that so that we can report back on it still maybe through annual reports but we can do that without the effort that, that goes into that at the moment uh, uh, it's well, quicker I, and easier and therefore less money is spent on admin costs yeah well, I, I, I guess it will help I, I think the, the issue is is kind of what, what you need to do when you're looking at sort of when you're ever analysing any results and what's happening it needs to be the let's look at the overall bigger picture what have we brought in in totality in this year rather than just what drove the immediate ROI mm. Uh, and I, I think for me, it's, it's, it's less about reporting externally. It's first getting organized to report internally and to be able to have teams communicating and being able to have like a proper what you've done with the money. Instead of, you know, I donate to a charity, then I will get the direct mail for the next six months. Nothing about the money I gave. So you give before, so you, you want to give again. Charities need to be more organized to communicate to their donors and said thank you for with, with the money you've donated this is what, so this is what we've done this is the project you funded we're still not very good at doing that mm-hmm. on a, like on a personalized level we we can do that on annual report but not for individual donors. I completely agree. I think that's where you know CRM and and, and some of the technologies that are available to probably businesses like Amazon and, 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 and businesses in the corporate sector where they're doing that. They're giving you a personalized journey from that initial interaction, which I don't know if, I mean, there's four of us sitting around the table. Have we seen any of that from a, a charity? I, I think that there's one, one issue with CRM that I feel charities have. I don't want to sound always negative, but, um, <laughs> but I, I think charities have worked with a long time with a donor database. Yep. And they still have most of them this mentality so then when they invest in a CRM they invest in a technology they don't invest in a CRM mentality so most of the charities I know will work will use their CRM as a good as a better um, donor database they don't use it to drive traffic to to the CMS so we're we're not yet ready to do like commercial organizations we will know who you are and based on your gender based on your previous orders we'll change the images but in a newsletter because we've got the information about why the person what what product the person bought or what kind of donations they've made when you send a newsletter you could send them to a more personalized landing page with an amount tailored to their previous gift or images tailored to what to the sort of project that they sponsored before so it's really a mentality thing yeah i think it's interesting obviously personalization is great but i think sometimes you can also get too bogged down in that personalization and think this is really going to make the difference and Mm. but you can invest so much time being how many journeys are there what you know different types of people and how you break it down and actually if you overcomplicate it that's also a waste of time. So you can go too far down that road. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a valid point. But I guess it, it, t- it takes us on maybe to, to looking a bit to the future. And obviously, in the Do More Good podcast, we like to in- inspire the future leaders of charities and fundraising. And from your two experience and, and working with a number of charities 
And Bertie, we'll come to you first. What's the one thing that you think charities need to be considering around their digital strategy today? And then what's the one thing that they should be looking at tomorrow? I think that the thing that charities have to do today is around what we call experience map. So it's, it's looking at the journey of someone from... I mean, obviously, charities are different. You've got charities where the, the supporter and the beneficiaries are very different. So when you've got a charity where the beneficiary today can become a supporter tomorrow, then, then you need to start working across teams and not think about, this is my audience... So charities need to, 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 to basically is cross-selling. Yep, yep. That's, that's in one word, is that. Okay. It's when, when you can, on one page, cross-sell everything. Because when someone wants to make a donation, very often they don't click on donate. They will start by, oh, let's, let's see what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Let's, let remind me what they're doing. So the donation journey could start there on a, on a well, service or information page. Okay. So that's the thing they need to do today. And the thing they need to do tomorrow is really, as we said earlier, around, around data, understanding data, and starting to aggregate data. So obviously, some data will have to be confidential and not shared with fundraising, but started to see every piece of data as owned by the charity, not by a specific team. Okay. And, and, it's, and I, don't think, I don't think it's revolutionary. I think this should have happened years ago. Is that just a cultural problem rather than a technology problem? Well, I don't uh, think charities would be afraid of... We're not, we're not afraid of sharing approaches and, and things that we're, we're learnings in, you know, between charities, let alone within teams. It's just maybe we're not, well, we're not I think thinking so. in that way. Yeah, and I think it's about also targets and, and budgets. I mean, I, I've seen a few charities saying, well, one fundraising team, one target, but you both work in fundraising. You know that in practice... No, that's mine. That's definitely mine. Yeah, that's so you have that. individual yeah. targets, and it, it's yeah. not as easy as that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So it's not like a commercial organisation where the se- the sale, you know, the, the sales team is is king. You know, it's it's really. I, I think it's really about again breaking down the, the silos and and trying to identify opportunities for projects that can work across different teams. Uh, well, I, I also think that stems from the fact that charities have done so much to be innovative, to you know have all these different products, all these different. Like if you look, at, you know, if you take a big client, say for example, British Heart Foundation, and all the divisions and all the different things they do, you could go to their website to book a collection. How do I donate goods? How do I do this? I want to do an event. I want to. Yeah, there's tons like, of products on there. Aren't yeah, there? like yeah. or I want some health info. So they're so vast, which it's kind of like a. A, a good thing in terms of like reflecting on everything that's been achieved today. I think you're right, and I, and I, I agree on in terms of that joined up view. And I, I, as you were talking, then I was just thinking, I wonder if there's a charity out there, and, and if anyone knows of one, please do contact us. Where they actually have that approach, where it's not about the individual teams' targets. It's that one big target about this is what we're trying to raise, this is what we're, the impact that we're trying to have. But they have the different disciplines and products. I don't know. Perhaps well, it, I'm, it, sh- it I'm just sure that exists, but it's exist. probably at a certain size. So there's one yeah. one project that I've been working on since 2013 I think it's the Charity Comms Digital Benchmark where we have 65 or maybe now 70 charities sharing their Google Analytics Mm. 
So, um, and I, I, I circulate, and then you'll serve there when I ask That them, what's your budget for digital? What's really the good. size of your team? So then on the, uh, on the benchmark, it's done in Google Data Studio. So you can actually benchmark based on the income of the charity, based on the size of the team, based on the subsector, if it's health, if it's um, international development. We're going to soon add e-commerce. So looking at that, so when I look at big charities, so in the benchmark, BHF, Mind, RSPCA, Docstress, so they, they are really big charities. But in the benchmark, we've got charities more in the middle who are probably in a position based on a small team where they don't have the choice. They have to work together yeah. because they don't have, oh, for, for social, you need to talk to the social ma- media manager in that team. Mm-hmm. You know, some, some charities have tried to, to work with a hub and spoke model. Mm. Uh, one rep of the digital team represents the whole team. So, but that, that's really hard work because of the turnover. Yeah. But I'm sure, I'm sure the charity you yeah. mentioned exists. Yeah, it, may, it must do. Thanks, if Felicity, this comes on to you now, putting the, putting the uh, pressure on. So, <laughs> come on then. T- today, what would you say for a charity today? So you're sat in there with a new client. We're not put a case study out there of any existing <laughs> client, but you're sat in there with a new client, and you're you're in front of a room of three thousand people. 3, uh, yeah, just just a small just a small room. Yeah, what about today? What what would so you? So I, I, I think today, my personal bugbear is probably the website and making it e-commerce friendly and okay. kind of really focusing efforts in terms of making that journey as smooth as possible. Because there's nothing as frustrating as getting the traffic to yeah. the site. To, to do an action and mm. then just see it drop off. Mm. And if you can tweak that by 30%, that could mean 30% more money for the charity or 30% more sign up. So mm. I want to say it's a quick fix. It's not. Mm. However, the gains that can be made there are huge. No, that's a good one, actually. Because, yeah, I think about the charity websites that I've been on and that have been the same for maybe the last three or four years. And, of course, things have moved on and they changed and improved and it might not be one of the sexiest things to work on when you talk about we're doing a new digital project we're going to revamp our i don't know sign up journey or whatever it might be but actually the gains you could make from that are massive yeah so wait when you said tomorrow i I assume you meant tomorrow in the future but tomorrow tomorrow people will listen to this podcast you need to make a donation on your own website do some mystery shopping because i'm pretty sure that since the website was launched and tested you haven't made a donation, and you'll be, you'll be surprised. That that's something that's I do with most yeah. charities, and and yeah, and, and and from like the whole journey, including the thank you, and if I could give one tip, is stop the automatic thank you email that are being sent two seconds after you made a donation, signed by your chief exec. Because no one will believe that your chief exec <laughs> was waiting for the donation. So it's either you just automate a receipt and you send the next day at 10 o'clock some manual thank yous to your batch them, but try to make the journey a bit more See, personal. Yeah, that's great. We want to slow things down. That's brilliant. Yeah, I can get, I can get <laughs> on board with that. But I, I, would, I, would, I would believe a thank you email sent by a database manager or a fundraising assistant that I receive the next day. Yeah. Bertie just requires personalised videos delivered from the CEO two minutes after donation. <laughs> Not me. Anyone who makes a donation of more than, I don't know, £2,000 online, actually, they would probably need to have a personalised... There is yeah. a software to do the personalised videos. Yeah. I though, bet there so. is. I bet there is. <laughs> so, please going back to, your, to, to you, in, and then the future, what, what do you think you, you would say... Oh, 
world is, I mean, I guess it's so hard, kind of like, it's moving so quickly. I mean, in terms of digital, generally, who knows where we'll be in the next few years. I think sort of the the most interesting stuff that we're seeing from charities at the moment is kind of how they're uh, developing their partnerships uh, with corporate brands, and that's playing a bigger and bigger role. And I think that's something that could be a key focus of, like, how can you leverage other brands to help build your own? Obviously, as you were speaking about in your podcast the other week. Yeah. Absolutely key. It's a good one. Points for listening to the previous podcast <laughs> as well. They're right. but she hadn't. She, had, she only listened on the way in, so maybe we'll take one point away. <laughs> yeah, very good. I think we can probably wrap it up there, guys. We've been going for about forty-five minutes. I think that was a good discussion. Some really good points. Just in in sum up. So, Bertie, where can people find you? I'm I'm obviously French, as you as you heard. <laughs> so they can find me on Bertie.fr or um, or Bertie.in because I've got two two sites. Or, or there's a link on my website to my photo website as well. And we'll put so all the links in the, yeah, in the show can, notes as well. Yeah, you can look well. at photos if, if, if what I said is, was not in- <laughs> interesting. Does that, in- does that include the Daft Punk photo? Is yeah. that on there somewhere? Yeah, it's, 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 on it. oh. it's on it. There you go. You're going to get lots of visitors just looking for that. <laughs> i have to dig through that later. And was there any message you wanted to leave from them today or anything that you would like people to take away? <laughs> I was really pleased to, to meet you and to... Um, to come to this, um, to be invited to this podcast. That's probably that's probably all I would say. No, just a message to you. So it's really, really good to see that there are there are people in the sector. We take them outside work too. Your automated thank you email will be already sitting <laughs> in your inbox. Don't worry. But yeah, no, I don't. I don't like. like a, I don't have a. I don't have like a, a deep thought to share. Fine, Fliss, what about yourself? Where can people find you and is there any God, I'm, final I, I'm terrible. Maybe I'm not that digital, though. You did say, uh, Bertie, that you deleted your Facebook profile. I'm not on Twitter. You're not on Twitter? I'm not on Twitter. That's I feel like I had enough of Facebook and Instagram. But you can find me at felicity at mcand.co.uk. Okay. Final thoughts. I think she needs another pint of cider. Oh, yeah, I actually feel quite disappointed, guys, <laughs> that I've been the only one who's drinking. I was promised that we were doing this podcast <laughs> in a pub, and I can only see tea, Coke, and uh, lemonade. So yeah. I've been lied to and missold, just we like have. Facebook. <laughs> yeah, we have done. We have. This is this is a bit slack for us, but it is January. We like to do it occasionally with a beer, but we'll, we'll be back soon, I'm sure. Well, I think we can wrap it up there. Thank you both for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thank you for sharing your insights and and being open and honest. Really, I think we both really enjoyed the conversation and uh, hopefully people find it useful. So, yeah, all the best. So, James, I shall see you soon. Yeah, will do. Nice one, mate. We'll catch up. All right, all the best. Thanks, then. Bye. Before we go, quick quiz for you, Kenneth. Uh, Twitter. Do more good pod. Instagram. Do more good pod. Website. Do more good.uk. Uh, reviews. Please leave them on iTunes and all other good podcast providers are available. MySpace? Uh, little K Dizzle, still going strong. That goes in there. That goes in there. Every week. We don't need to do the others. That's great. <laughs> little K Dizzle.